Awesome. Well, I'd invite you to take a seat and, and sit back and relax. Kim and the band will be back uh, a little bit later. Hey, is, uh, is Riley... Yeah, that's an issue. Hey, do you want a hand, mate? Oh, no, you've got enough muscles to do it. I should have never doubted you. Um, in 2004, in 2004, the world was changed forever. Right? And here's how the world was changed forever. Because in 2004, a movie got released that immediately became uh, part of our cultural icon. Appreciate you. That, that chord is just always so much more of a challenge than you think it's going to be, hey? Um, uh, this movie became such a, such a part of our lexicon in culture that even if uh, you've never seen this movie, uh, even if you've uh, um, never like, really heard about this movie, chances are you would have heard quotes from this movie. Chances are maybe you've uh, never seen this movie, but you've actually quoted this movie yourself. This movie came kind of back into prominence uh, early this year with the uh, release of Ariana Grande's new song, uh, Thank You, Next, which was essentially like a, a play on this, um, on, on this particular movie. Um, in fact, it's the actual... We used Ariana Grande's song as kind of the theme for this series, this conversation that we're doing called Thank You, Next. Uh, the movie, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, is Mean Girls, Okay. Uh, it's one of the greatest, uh, greatest movies uh, of, of our recent generation. It's not the greatest, because the greatest movie is The Dark Knight. Um, but it's up there, right? It's probably in the top, like, five or so. And there's this particular scene in Mean Girls uh, where, where Coach Carr, who's the PE teacher, is standing on the basketball court, and his health class is kind of sitting in the stands, and Coach Carr's, like... You know, he's not the fittest guy for a PE teacher, let's just put it like that way. And, uh, and he's kind of breathing a little bit heavy and he's kind of like sweating a little bit and you can tell that he's a little nervous about what he's about to say and then he kind of just looks up and he goes, don't have sex because you'll get pregnant and you'll die. Don't have sex in the missionary position, don't have sex standing up, just, just don't do it. Promise? Okay, everyone take some rubbers. And, it, and it's just this part of the movie, and if you're brand new here tonight, you're probably thinking, like, what, what did I just walk into? Like, what is going on that there's this dude in church talking about the, the, the sex talk from Mean Girls? Um, and if you're just joining us, I want to let you know, the reason it's probably a little weird for you is because you're kind of joining us midway through a conversation. I um, mean, it's a conversation we've been having for the last couple of weeks. Uh, the way we have our conversations here, we, we call them series, and we'll kind of camp out on an idea or a topic for a number of weeks, and... And this series we've called Thank You Next. And throughout this series, we're kind of navigating dating, relationships, sex, all those, um, all those sorts of things. And, and we're trying to figure out how do, we, how do we navigate these things in a culture that really is Thank You Next. It's not working, on to the next one. And uh, in part one of this series, Riley uh, jumped up and he talked about often the strategies that we have when it comes to dating. And he looked at the default strategy that so many of us have when it comes to dating and he offered a better strategy. And then last week I was talking all around the idea of singleness and how for a lot of us, singleness is often something we're like, oh, I, really, I really don't want, I really want to get away from. And so we often don't embrace or see the benefits or the good things in the midst of that season. And uh, tonight, if you haven't picked up on where we're going, uh, we're talking about sex. And, uh, <clears throat> and really the reason that I, I bought that, uh, that coach car kind of sex talk up uh, in Mean Girls is because in my experience, and I was someone who kind of grew up in the church, and so I heard um, sex talks a little bit, right? The church is not really great at talking about sex, so it was either they didn't talk about it, or when they did, it was very similar to the coach car sex talk, which was, which was essentially, don't do it. Just, just don't do it. And can we just really be honest, okay? 
This is not helpful to anyone. This is not helpful when you're going through high school. This is not helpful when you're first discovering girls or first discovering boys. If you're in a context and it's just like, just don't do it. Because there's, there's, so, many, there's so many kind of questions that come up with this, right? Your, your first question might kind of be like, well, well why? Why? Like, like okay, I get, the, I get the premise of the statement. I understand what you want me to do. But, like, why? Like, would you explain it to me? And depending on what kind of church you grew up in, like, or um, what your impression is of the church, maybe it was kind of like, well, hey, we, don't, we don't ask those questions just because. It's kind of like God said, I don't know, like, just don't do it. Maybe for some of you, you look at that and, and, and if that's your impression with the church, you look at it and you go, well, that's just unrealistic, okay? We're not living in the dark ages anymore, right? There are things like Tinder. There are a whole heap of other apps. It's never been easier to connect. Everybody's doing it, right? It's so unrealistic to kind of wait till marriage or adopt this sexual ethic that the church has had. So it's just, it's just unrealistic. Maybe for some of you, uh, you've looked at this and you've thought to yourself, well, I don't really need that sex talk because for me, I've already kind of crossed that line, so it's too late, right? So whatever the church has to say, whatever Jesus has to say, like that's, I'm kind of, I'm kind of beyond that at this point. Maybe uh, for some of you, when you, you've heard uh, this idea, <clears throat> excuse me, I've had a mental blank, but there's, there's another one, and if I figure out what that mental blank is, we'll come back to it. But maybe for you, you've just had a, it's left a bad taste in your mouth. And it hasn't been helpful, and I think as a church we have to acknowledge that we haven't really done a great job over history when it's come to addressing sex and talking about sexuality and having these kinds of conversations. And my hope for the next 15 or 20 minutes that we're together, my hope is that when you, when you leave these doors tonight, not, not that you agree with me, not that you agree with what God's sexual ethic is, but my hope is simply this, that, that you would have a greater understanding of God's design for sex. That's it. That's simple as that. Whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it, whether you're in between, that you would just have a greater understanding of God's design for sex. Because what I believe and what we believe is, as uh, Jesus followers is that God actually created sex. Sex wasn't like this thing that God just kind of created and then he was sitting up in heaven and he's like, what are they doing? Oh, oh, like... Like, God wasn't freaking out about it. Like, God kind of had a plan and God had a purpose, and so God had a design for sex. And it might be different to your sexual ethic, it might be different to the way you view it, but we're just, I, all I want to do is kind of maybe add a category to your thinking when it comes to this whole idea of sex. And before we can kind of look at, like, God's uh, design for sex, I think we have to be really, really honest and look at where are we as a culture when it comes to this sort of stuff? Where are we as a culture when it comes to talking about sex and, and sexuality? And, and here, I'm going to throw something out there, and you're probably, probably going to push back a little bit because like, I'm a pastor and I'm old school and I get that. So here, I'm going to throw it out there and then I'm going to explain why I'm throwing it out there. Why I'm throwing it out there. Because I believe that we live in a hyper-sexualized culture. Right? And for those of you who aren't Jesus followers, you're going to look at that and you're being like, well, of course you say that, Chris. Because anything remotely sexual for you, you're like one of those church people. It's like, oh, that's hypersexualized. But, but I want to let you know that this is, not, this is not because of my worldview that I make this statement. This is not an emotional position that I make this statement. In fact, I actually think that this statement is what the data tells us about our culture. So you might not know this, 
But currently, where it looks like, what it looks like in Australia is 100% of this generation will watch porn by the age of 16. That means, think about this, 100% of grade 10 or 11 students, uh, if you're in grade 10 or 11, 15, 16, that age, 100% of our country has been exposed or watches porn, has watched porn at that age. More than that, porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Than one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world, one of the biggest uh, websites to buy stuff in the world, and one of the biggest, not in Australia, but one of the biggest social media platforms in the world. If you were to combine these three powerhouses, porn sites receive more regular traffic than them combined. Here's another one. 11 is the average age a child is exposed to porn in Australia. 11. Right? And we kind of say, hey, no, we're not, we're not hypersexualized. Like, if you think 11 is all right for a child to be watching porn, then, then I feel like we just, got a, we just got a different idea of morality and a different idea of what's okay. Here's this one. Because sometimes, you know, there's this tendency to go, well, this is really a guy issue, it's not a girl issue. Right? But 33% of women, 25 and under, search for porn at least once a month. Right, this is not a, a, a male issue, this is not a female issue, this is just a human issue. Right? This is something that we as a culture need to begin to address. And we as a culture need to begin to uh, talk through and address. Because I believe there's kind of two things that underlie this kind of hyper-sexualized culture that we live in. You can probably find more, but I think there's two main drivers. The first one is lust and pornography. The second one's pornography, is fueling our hypersexualized culture. Lust is that thing that takes a desire for sex, which is actually a healthy desire, that's natural. We believe God's put that within all of us, but it makes it about you. It makes it solely about your needs and how you can manipulate someone or how you can uh, get someone to do what you want them to do. So lust and pornography, you just had to look at the stats to see uh, that pornography is such a huge thing, is fueling our hypersexualized culture. And so tonight, what I want to do is, I don't want to give you the same old just don't do it sex talk, right? Because that's not helpful. That's not beneficial. But what I want to do is I, I want to begin to address how do we navigate and, and what is God's design for sex and, and is it better than what we've got? Because I think right now, this, this is a message not just for those of us in the room tonight, but it's also a message for the generations coming behind us. Right? Millennials and Gen Zers, right? I'm a millennial, there's so many Gen Zers in, um, in this room. So often what we say is we want to make a difference in the world. We want to make an impact in the world. We want to change the world. Well, one of the easiest ways that we can begin to change the world is begin to change the way in which the generations coming behind us talk about sexuality and think about sexuality. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to leave a legacy as a generation where the legacy that's left is every 16-year-old uh, has been exposed to porn because they've been following and looking up to the generations before them. And I think we have a unique opportunity to change that. And so this kind of whole hypersexualized culture thing, this is not like a new thing. Uh, this is not just a 21st century thing. In fact, there was a, a, a city, really, although it was kind of a culture, 2,000 years ago that had this same problem. And it was a city uh, called Corinth that actually still exists in modern-day Greece. And at the time, uh, Greece wasn't a nation. It was a whole bunch of different city-states. 
and Corinth was one of these city-states. And Corinth was really unique um, among all the Greek city-states because it was a port city, which meant that unlike other city-states, because it was a bit difficult to sometimes travel and get to them, what you had happening in Corinth is a whole heap of different uh, boats coming in, which meant a whole heap of different cultures and a whole heap of different religions, a whole heap of different ways of thinking about the world, and they all culminated and they all met in Corinth. It was essentially a melting pot of ideas. And Corinth had this hyper-sexualized culture within it. Because within Corinth, there was this temple to the goddess Aphrodite. And 2,000 years ago, in the employ of the um, temple of Aphrodite, there were over 1,000 temple prostitutes. 1,000 temple prostitutes in the employ. And it was totally okay. It was considered completely normal as part of that culture that if you were married or if you were single, if you're a man, if you're a woman, that you would just go to the temple and you would just pay money to have the temple prostitutes perform sexual acts uh, with you as part of worship. That was considered a cultural norm. And this was a, so this was a hyper-sexualized culture that Corinth uh, was having 2,000 years ago. And in the midst of this culture, a church started. And in the midst of this culture, a whole lot of people began to follow Jesus. And in the midst of them beginning to follow Jesus, they began to adopt the sexual ethic that God had in God's design for sex. But then, uh, after the church had been started a number of years, and people had kind of been in the church a while, new people started to come in. And people started to ask kind of questions like they do, and they said, hey, what, why is it that you guys have a different sexual ethic to the rest of us? What's the difference? And I don't know what happened, whether people had just forgotten, or whether people saw what their neighbors were doing and thought, hey, maybe it'd be easy to go back to that. But somehow what started to happen is you had a church, and you're probably not going to believe this, but you had a church in Corinth where people would go to church and then they would go to the temple and have sex with the temple prostitute. Okay, you thought like the churches you were in had issues, okay? This church had people come to church being like, Jesus, we love you, and then go to the temple of Aphrodite to have sex with prostitutes. And one of the guys who started the church, began it all those years ago, is a guy called Paul. And Paul, if you know nothing about him, he's a big deal in the Jesus movement. In fact, he wrote a whole heap of letters to a whole heap of churches that he started or um, he was kind of overseeing or kind of pastoring from a distance. And those letters actually make up just around about two-thirds of the, new, of the documents that uh, make up the New Testament part of the Bible today. And so Paul, what happens is he started this church and he gets wind and he hears about what's going on in Corinth. And so Paul writes them a letter. And in this letter, Paul gives them a sex talk. But it's a sex talk unlike any other sex talk or a traditional sex talk in a church. And so what I want to do tonight is I want us to take a look at how Paul gives a sex talk in that kind of culture. So let's listen. This is what he says. He says, run from sexual sin, which, let's be honest, that's kind of like every other sex talk. Um, but he changes it really, really quickly. I promise. He says this. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. What, what Paul's saying here is, hey, when it, comes to, when it comes to sexual sin, it's in a different category. But it's not in a different category because God views it differently. It's not in a different category, category because jo God judges you more harshly. It's not in a different category for any of those reasons. The reason... Paul says it's in a different category from every other sin, is actually because of you. Is actually because of me. 
Because Paul says sexual sin affects you in a way that nothing else does. It touches parts of your psyche, parts of who you are in a way that nothing else does. And so Paul says that's why God views it differently. Because it impacts you differently. And then he goes on, he says this. He says, don't you realize, because they didn't, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, right, this just doesn't make sense, okay? And I'll just acknowledge that up front. But if you are a Jesus follower, one of the things that we would say is that when we began to follow Jesus, God gave us a gift. And that gift was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is designed to help us do what we want to do, which is what we said, we want to follow Jesus. So the Holy Spirit kind of prompts us, kind of directs us, kind of guides us as we want to follow Jesus. And Paul says, as a result of that, he says, you don't belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now this thing here that Paul's talking about, a high price. What Paul's doing is he's drawing their minds back to an event. An event that, that would have happened in the lifetime of many of the people who were in this church. And he's saying, hey, remember that God actually entered history. That God took on human flesh and, became, uh, and, and entered into history as the man Jesus. And what did, what did Jesus do when he came to earth? Paul would, Paul would, get him to, would say, hey, do you remember? Did he judge you? Did he condemn you? Did he point the finger? And they'll say, no. Paul said, well, what did he do? They would say, he went to the cross and he gave up his life. Why? So that we could experience a relationship. So that we would have the opportunity to connect, if we wanted to, with God. And the reason that it happened is, Paul said, uh, would have happened is, uh, Paul said, because God wants to extend love and God wants to extend grace. Not because he wants to extend judgment to you. See, what costs you and me absolutely nothing cost God everything. And really what Paul is saying to those of us in the room who are Christians, he's saying, hey, remember when you signed up for this? Remember when you thought that was such an incredible thing? Paul says, well, that's what you want to do when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You want to honor God with your body. And Oops, sorry. And I understand that some of you at this point, right, you're probably sitting there and you're probably thinking to yourself, like, yeah, Chris, like, I kind of get it. Like, I kind of get where you're going with this. But, like, here's the deal for me. And you're probably pushing back and you're crossing your arms. You're saying, it sounds like to me you're making sex seem like it's just a little bit more than physical. Right? You're making it seem like it's emotional. You said that it touches my psyche, right? Whatever that is. Like, no, it doesn't. Because what you, what you would say is sex, it's just physical. All it is, it's just physical. It's just two bodies coming together. There's no emotional uh, element to it. There's no spiritual element to it. Sex is just physical. And I know we might say that, right? I know we might say that, but there's a part of us that acts differently. And while we may think that sex is just physical, there's a part of us that acts differently, right? Like, let me give you this for an example. If it's just physical, why is it called the walk of shame? I never get shameful after I go for a run. Like, I might get shamed if I skip leg day, but, like, I never get shamed when I just do something physical. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Well, why is it that so many of our greatest regrets in life often revolve around something sexual? 
Why is it that when we talk about sex, one of the things we say is, hey, I want to really wait for that special someone. If it's just physical, who cares? Right? Why is it um, that when someone is a victim of rape, it is so much more devastating for them and so much more damaging to them than if they've just been physically assaulted? What about this for you? Why is it that people you know and maybe you if you want to really connect with someone, one of the first things you say is, well, I just want to wait on the physical stuff. I just want to hold off on the physical stuff for a little bit. Why is that? And, and Paul would say that the reason for that is sex is three-dimensional. That there are multiple aspects of sex. It's not just physical, but it's emotional and it's also spiritual as well. And sometimes, I'll be honest, we as Christians, we treat sex as if it's just physical. And we do this a little differently, but we do things like, well, well, how far is too far? Like, how far, like, where's the line that I can kind of like get myself up to and it still be okay? And when we do that and when we act like that, essentially what we're saying is, well, well sex is just a physical thing. And so physically I can get up to a certain line and then I can keep myself safe. And maybe you've never heard this tonight or maybe you've never thought about it in this way, but, but God's goal when it comes to sex is not virginity, it's purity. The reason that Paul remembers and says, hey, think back to the high price that, that God paid for you. Think back to what God did for you. is because what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do is help us to show, uh, to show us how to better follow Jesus. In other words, to help us do what we said to do in the first place, which is to be more like Jesus and be more like God. Uh, and so what Paul is saying is God's goal for you is not virginity, it's actually purity. Because you can enter into marriage a virgin and be a porn addict at the same time. And you are definitely not entering into that marriage thinking about your husband or thinking about your wife in a way that honours them. And so God's goal goes far, far deeper than something just physical. And Paul is kind of highlighting something that you probably acknowledge already, this, that sex outside of certain parameters causes damage. And I've, uh, I've got something that I, I want to show uh, kind of to help us start to understand this a little bit as we kind of wrap it up, this idea that sex outside of certain parameters causes damage. These two dashing men are coming out and we are going to have some fun tonight. Excellent. Excellent. That was, yeah. Oh, you did well. You did super well. Yeah. Thanks, mate. That sex outside of certain parameters causes damage. Because I know you're probably like, no, 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 Chris, it doesn't. I'm in control. I get to do what I want. And here's the thing, right? Some of you are like looking a little nervous. Some of you maybe are like OH&S people and you're like, is there a risk assessment on this bad boy? Because this is not going to end well, right? I'm not going to lie to it, I promise. Ease, easy. Um, but when it, comes to, when it comes to sex, sex I think is a little bit, or you can kind of paint an analogy like a fire. Right, I can start this fire. Okay, that's not going to light. That's okay. I can start this fire. And this fire can be something that we sit around when we're camping. It can be something that we roast marshmallows on. It can be something that we share conversations around when it's in full flame. But this very fire, taken out of context, and a spark in the Victorian bushland, or a spark in the New South Wales bushland, can absolutely destroy families can absolutely destroy livelihoods, can, can level entire communities. 
and leave people with absolutely nothing. And sex, sex is really the same way. That when it's used in its right context, it is powerful. But when you take it out of context, it is essentially just like throwing fire into a bushland and it will cause damage. And some of you, you've experienced this and you know this all too well because you've seen sex taken out of context. And maybe you saw it break your parents' marriage up. Or maybe, maybe you felt it break a relationship of yours up. Or you've seen one of your friends manipulated by a girlfriend or a boyfriend all around this idea of sex. And it was when it was taken out of certain parameters, it causes damage. And so what I want us to do, or what I'd like you to do, um, and all of us to do in this next week, is really, really simple. All I want you to do is simply this. I want you to determine your parameters. I want you to begin, begin to think about the idea that, well, if, if sex is more than just physical, if sex touches an emotional part of you, if sex touches a spiritual part of you, what parameters are okay? What, what, what limits are okay? Not just to, to uh, hold up in front of a line physically, but also to protect you emotionally and also to help you have a, a healthy spiritual relationship as well. Now, if you're not a Christian, right, like you can, you can begin to think about, uh, you can determine your parameters in whatever way you want. Maybe for the first time, this is probably the first time in your life where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, I've never really thought about that. I really don't know where, where that would be for me. But if you're a Christian, what I want you to do is I don't want you to listen to the guy up the front with a microphone. I don't want to listen to your friend. I want you to listen to your friend who's really learning Christian. What I want you to do is I want you to open up the biographies that we, ha- that we have that have survived antiquity that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about Jesus. And I want you to see what Jesus has to say about it. And I want you to define your parameters based around, if you're a Christian, the person that you claim to follow. And I know, right, that some of you have probably maybe been thinking about this. Because you heard last week that we were going to have the sex talk this week, and so maybe you started thinking about it, or maybe as I've been talking around it and you've kind of been thinking about the fallout and the effects um, that you've experienced sex outside of certain parameters, you're thinking to yourself, right, okay, maybe there are certain lines that I need to draw, or certain conversations I need to have. But what's holding you back is you're kind of like, yeah, but that would be, that'd be a little less fun than right now for me, right? That would, that, would be a little, that would be kind of difficult right now for me to do. And, and you're kind of living your life in the here and now and you're not really thinking about the future. And here's what I would say to you. That giving up something you want now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. And it can feel like a sacrifice in the moment, but when you actually give up something you want now for something you know that is going to be better for you in your dating relationships and hopefully in your marriage relationships, that's not a sacrifice. That's an investment. And the last thing before I'm done that I I just want you to think about, because I really want you to seriously consider this, because I want something for you, and and I believe that God wants something for you as well. In part one, Riley talked about this idea that, that what we really when we kind of go about dating, often what we, the way we approach it is we look for another person. And Riley challenged us. He said, hey, he asked us a question. He said, are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? What I want you to do is imagine 
that the person you're looking for is standing right in front of you? What kind of story or what kind of sexual ethic do you hope that they hold? What kind of sexual ethic do you hope and what kind of way when it approaches uh, the way in which they, they view women, the way in which they view men, their, their approach to pornography, what story do you hope that they tell you? Here's what I hope. I hope that the story that you share is one that you would want to hear. My hope for you is that the story that you share with someone else is one that you would want to hear. And I understand that there are some of you here tonight and you're probably like, yeah, but there are parts of my story already, Chris, that I don't want to share. And I get that. But wouldn't you rather say to this person, hey, you know, I made some mistakes and God's at work in my life. But as a result, what I began to do when I realized that is I created a new ethic and I set some new parameters. And I had you in mind, even though I'd never met you yet. And I began to prepare and think in a way that I would begin to tell you a story that was better than if I continued the way that I was going. That's my hope for you. And that's God's hope for you as well. But it'll cause you to make some difficult decisions because you'll have to make and possibly define some brand new parameters. I'd love to pray for us. Jesus, um, it's never easy. It's, it's never easy to, uh, to maybe look at where we're at and, um, and maybe have to, to uh, ask some difficult questions. Often when we talk about sex, it can bring up a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And Father, I just pray that, that no one would leave here tonight feeling that um, weight of that baggage. Lord, I pray that you would let them know that regardless of what their, their past is, that you want to give them a new future, that you want to give them hope, and you want them to experience life. Jesus, I pray for people this week who are maybe setting and defining new parameters. I pray that those of us in the room who are Jesus followers would take our cue from you. And Lord, I pray that those of us in the room who who aren't Jesus followers, who are maybe exploring or or asking questions, that they would begin to think of sex in a three-dimensional way. And they would begin to set some parameters that set them up for success relationally because ultimately that's what you want for them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.